back then I, I could never visualize what is out there now. I mean, I drove by there probably a year ago and, you know, a lot of those new homes. That what was going through there. your head? Do you remember? Oh just... yeah. It was just like, it, it was like a surreal moment, Yeah, you know, I mean, cause I just remembered how it was back then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think of the movie Rocky and when, when he, before he becomes famous, he's uh-huh. jogging through the neighborhood mm-hmm. and there's 55 gallon drums on fire guys are, you know, yep. keeping yeah. warm. That was a kind of, uh, atmosphere at, wow. on, on the block back then. Yeah. You heard that there. That's former South Bend police officer Sam Walsh describing what the 1200 block of West Washington Street, better known as the block, used to look like and how different it is now. More of that later, but first. Welcome to Round the Bend Now and Then, a podcast that shines a light on the South Bend and Mishawaka areas past and present. Through interviews with local business owners, leaders, and community members, our listeners and I learn together about all of the great people and great things going on in our community. As we also learn about South Bend and Mishawaka's history and how intertwined our past is with our present. I've always been so intrigued by the 1200 block of West Washington Street in South Bend. It's located just west of the Oliver Mansion and the Tippecanoe Place. In short, it went from a thriving neighborhood and business district to basically a skid row, a dumping ground, abandoned buildings, drugs, killings, prostitutes, gambling, to now a calm residential street that, other than a few storefronts and buildings that survived, you would have no clue what used to stand there. It is a fantastic success story of revitalization that our city and the Heritage Foundation should forever be applauded for. A brief history of the area that would eventually be nicknamed the Block. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, the area near the intersection of Washington and Walnut Street, like many in South Bend, was inhabited by immigrants who moved here for work in the local industry. By the 1950s, Washington and Walnut was basically a thriving, self-contained district, a city within a city, a melting pot of ethnicities with Polish, Hungarian, and African-American-owned residences, grocery stores, doctors, pharmacies, furniture stores, churches, and so forth. A true, thriving, diverse neighborhood. But in the 1950s and 60s, like other older areas of our inner city, urban decay set in. I met with uh, Joe Molnar recently, and he is an expert in our area's population shifts and changes in neighborhoods. And in the coming weeks, you'll hear way more about how and why changes occur to neighborhoods like West Washington. By the 1970s, the 1200 block of West Washington Street, the block, as it had now been nicknamed, was one of the most crime-riddled areas the city of South Bend has ever seen. Actually, right now in our city, thankfully, there isn't a street or area that even compares to how bad this was. And now, I'm not naive. Obviously, I understand that we still have issues to work on, but it was nothing compared to this. I found over 100 different South Bend Tribune articles just from this little area. Full, and I'm not lying, full of stories of Gambling, crime, stabbings, prostitution, battles over what to do with the decaying area, citizens writing into the newspaper demanding the city do something. 
Throughout the 80s and early 90s, the city, and specifically the Heritage Foundation, passionately fought to acquire properties and ultimately revitalize the 1200 block of West Washington into a nice residential area. I'd love to do a future episode just on the revitalization piece because there is so much history here. But today, what you'll hear are stories from the block, from a few different angles. You'll hear from a law enforcement angle, from Sam Walsh, former South Bend police officer who patrolled the block in the early 70s and then worked undercover on the block. Now, folks my age and older will definitely know Sam from the Crime Stoppers programming commercials. Side note, the story behind Sam launching Crime Stoppers in South Bend in the early 80s is so intriguing that there will be another episode dedicated solely to that. Another angle from which you'll hear about The Block is from Jim Bankowski, retired now but longtime principal in South Bend. His grandparents and then parents owned longtime bar and restaurant Nikus, which was located on the southwest corner of Washington and Walnut. Literally, in the center of all the action that occurred over the years on the block. Jim shares his memories of the area as a kid in the late 50s and early 60s, and then as an adult helping to run the bar and restaurant. To paint a picture of what the area of West Washington and Walnut Streets used to be like, how it was literally a city within a city, and how it had everything you needed right there, Jim shares some of his earliest memories of the area with the different businesses up and down Washington Street. And he also fondly remembers time spent with his grandmother. Talk to me about your earliest memories about just the area. Well, when I was a kid, when I was really young, mm-hmm. it was, I mean, it had changed a lot. Okay. Into and became the street, the the block over just... um uh, east of them uh-huh. um, became the the block. The block. But the block. Yeah. But um, when I was a kid, it was it was a still a pretty thriving neighborhood. Uh-huh. That lots of Hungarian and Polish people. Uh huh. Um, lots of the businesses. Actually, it was it was an area that you didn't really have to go other than for clothing. Mm-hmm. You didn't really have to leave the neighborhood for anything. All because right there. there were grocery stores, drug store, paint mm-hmm. store. Mm-hmm. Um, St. Vincent de Paul had a store there. Wow. There were bakeries. There were there were bars. There was a diner, the old G and H diner, which is there was a White House. There was a White House on diner West Washington. On West Washington, really? There was a bowling alley that was owned by my great uncle. Okay, and then my granddad and grandmother took over the. Um, the tavern, the bar in there, but my uncle kept the bowling alley and kept okay. running it. So I remember as a very young child right. being in that bowling alley. Right. And I remember walking that neighborhood, my going maybe with my grandmother once mm-hmm. they closed the tavern I, or, or, or stopped the food service because mm-hmm. she cooked there. Uh, the, um, we would go to the walk down to the GNH to have lunch. Uh huh. Or if she was looking for furniture or something she'd head down the street a little bit further to sandox furniture okay. store okay and i mean it was just amazing there was a food mark a fresh a fruit market this is and that sold christmas trees in the winter time which we had several of them from mm-hmm. there 
um, across the street from Sandox. And I mean, it was. That's it's just it, it 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 intrigues the hell out of me that, you know, our city had just cities within cities. Right. Is what that was. Right. And it just intrigues me that there's still remnants of it around our city. Now you still see Western Avenue. You still see, I mean, even River Park is businesses and it, it was Miami. It was kind of like a River Park area, actually. Yeah. Okay. A little bit further down was there was a funeral home. Mm-hmm. Konyeski Funeral Home was there. Okay. The original Konyeski. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then um, the natatorium was next to that. And across from that was the children's dispensary. Yes. Still standing. Yes. Notre Dame. The building, yes. Yes. But, um, I mean, and there and there were churches all mm-hmm. over all over the area. God. And they were all within walking distance. And on Sundays, my granddad would drop my grandmother and me off at church, and we would walk back to the tavern afterwards. And <laughs> he was usually doing his book work, and then we'd have to, we'd go across the street to the grocery store, and she would buy the meat that she would cook for us at her house on. I mean, it was all right there. Oh, all right, all right in the same. And she'd stop at the drugstore next day, mm-hmm. next door, and she'd pick up whatever toiletry items and so on for for the house that she needed or any prescriptions and so on. It was Art for Hostra's Rexall Pharmacy. If you ever get the chance, you should walk up and down the 1200 block of West Washington Street now. It is very hard to imagine that all of this hustle and bustle used to be right there. To further paint a picture of how connected the neighborhood was to West Washington Street, Jim lists the numerous doctors that serve the neighborhood. They even had lots of doctors in the in the yeah. area. Uh-huh. Above the grocery store that was across the street from my dad's tavern and above the drug store was Dr. Miller, who was a dentist. Okay. Dr. Grayson was a podiatrist. Around the corner from the loan company, a little bit further down the street, <laughs> mm-hmm. was um Dr. Butts. Who's just a general doctor? A little bit further down that on Washington Street was Doctor Toothacre, who was a dentist. Okay, <laughs> go figure. Yeah, and um, but the, but the, I mean, you you didn't have to. That's crazy. You were you were right there. Just amazing. And, and my grandmother would go to Doctor Miller, and she would go. She went to Doctor Grayson, and wow. and um, these That's, were all prominent African American uh-huh. yep. doctors. Right. Right. And they were upstairs. You know, you had to walk up this long flight of stairs to get to their mm-hmm. offices, but they wow. were, they were, and, and wow. I just, it's just so different than what we're used to now. Yeah. As I mentioned in the intro, by the 1960s, the neighborhood was experiencing changes. More and more folks had access to the automobile, and no longer was it necessary to have all of your shopping needs within a mile of your home. The demographics of the neighborhood shifted as the families of the Hungarian and Polish immigrants moved out. More African-American families moved into the neighborhood. And as the years progressed into the late 1960s, like many inner cities across the country, racial tensions rose. Next, you'll hear a bit about something that I guarantee every South Bend resident that was alive in July of 1967 remembers, the race riots. To read the Tribune articles from the time, it truly paints a picture of how awful it was. And the 1200 block of West Washington was just one of two areas in the city 
that riots and major property damage took place. The riots occurred there at Washington and Walnut, and also the area near Western and Walnut, where those old storefronts are now near the train viaduct. And it was bad. Multiple fire bombings, hundreds of police officers called from the area, Mayor Allen warning parents to not let their kids out after dark, fire trucks severely damaged from the vandalism, dozens and dozens of injuries and arrests. To show how wild it was, I'll read this from an article. Quote, Most of the stone throwing occurred at the intersection of Washington and Walnut, where youths set up barricades to halt unsuspecting motorists who were stoned after they were forced to stop. Windows smashed in the Washington drugstore and merchandise was stolen. A firebomb was tossed at Nikus Bar, 1302 West Washington. No fire damage was reported, but windows were also smashed. Next, Jim talks about just that, the scary time at Nikus during the race riots. Well, Neighborhoods started changing in the 60s. Uh-huh. And I remember the riot of, I think it was 1968. Yep. My dad was, they were actually, he actually. Talk spent, to me about that. That's what I was going to talk spent about. Spent three nights there in the tavern. He, your your dad or your grandfather? My gra- My dad owned it at that time. So my dad ended up spending, he slept on the pool table wow. for three nights. Because people broke out the windows yep. and. And he had to have them boarded up the next day. And then they ended up with um, gates across, you know, yeah, across bars. the windows. And yeah. Oh, and, um, man. But it was, that was, that was a bad time. That was a bad time. It was bad. There were articles in the Tribune from a month after the riots with business owners on Western Avenue in West Washington talking about the financial impact that the riots had on their businesses. From August 20th, 1967, the manager of Sandox Furniture Store, which stood at 1217 West Washington Street, quote, People will not venture into this area after dark, and that is when most of the furniture is sold because you can bring the whole family there. Even in the daytime, people have a funny feeling coming into a store with its windows all boarded up. But what can you do? If we take the boards off, the windows will just get broken again. Next, you'll meet Sam Walsh. As I mentioned in the intro, he was a longtime South Bend police officer who worked the beat on the block a few short years after the riots. So when he started in 1970, the block was definitely hot. Next, he talks about why he wanted to work the block as a rookie, beat number 40. Well, you know, they had the riots in 1967. Yeah. And Sandox Furniture, uh, uh-huh. that store was torched. Yep. And, uh, that was, I mean, the block was just, uh, I mean, as a, I was a rookie in 1970 Okay. and I wanted to work the block so bad. You wanted to, that was one of my questions was, oh, yeah. how'd you start? So yeah. So basically, uh, back then before take home cars, uh-huh. uh, we had the high crime areas had two man cars. Okay. And so the block was two man or uh-huh. Keezy was two man. And, uh, so I just, man, from day one, as soon as I hit the street, I wanted to work really? the block. Yeah. That's well, where the action was. Yeah. It, that's why you wanted to, to work Oh, absolutely, it. man. I was going, I was out of the Marine Corps. Yeah. And I, I was uh, gung-ho and, and uh, you know, I, I worked uh, 
15's beat, which was down around Scottsdale Mall. Yes. And I got so bored with going to getting shoplifters. The mall opened, I think, in 73. <laughs> I was going to say the mall had to have been brand oh, new. Oh, man. So anyway, when when we got out to uh, uh, the block, I mean, uh-huh. I was I was fired up. <laughs> and um, one of my questions was like, you know, what, are your, what were your thoughts when you were assigned there? But your thoughts were <laughs> you uh, wanted to be there. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, to me, uh, that was the ultimate beat okay 40 was a beat 40 we had different zones and 40 was uh washington walnut next i asked sam what he thinks about when he thinks of the block during that era and his answer pretty much paints a picture of what that area was like and you'll also find out why a city safety director called the washington and walnut area a literal dump and a landfill and he challenged the mayor to visit and help do something about it Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think of the movie Rocky and when, when he, before he becomes famous, he's uh-huh. r- jogging through the neighborhood and mm-hmm. there's 55 gallon drums on fire guys are, you know, yep. keep, yeah. keeping warm. That was the kind of, uh, atmosphere at, at, wow. on, on the block back then. Yeah. That's crazy. In one of the articles I read, there was a, um, I wrote it down here, a gentleman, he was the, uh, safety director. His name was Michael Carrington. Yeah. Um, I, I like the good guy. Really? So you knew him? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Worked oh. for him. I worked for him, yeah. Okay. Uh, it was March 30th, 1975. So it was it, towards the end of your beat when you were... Yeah, because I started working undercover in the summer of 75. Okay. So my, at, at this time. But anyway, the, the t- article was titled, Ghetto Condition Disclosed. And the safety director, Michael Carrington, challenged Mayor... Um, Mayor Jerry Miller to come out and spend some time here, but he also uh, gave a councilman a three-hour tour of that area, and literally, he's he's like, "This is a dump. This is a mini dump." And there's there's pictures in the newspaper. It's kind of it's black and white, but the the view on the corner of Washington and Walnut present you know shows debris and concrete slabs pushed on the sidewalk. Another one says unofficial landfill. There's like washers yeah. and dryers. Oh and, yeah. That's wild. Yeah. P- people um, that, that lived outside that area, uh-huh. you know, say down around Twickenham Hills mm-hmm. and, and, and whatnot. Of course, back then there wasn't Granger. Uh, True. But they, they could never imagine what the block was like. I found another article from 1970. And when asked about how nasty and trash riddled the area was, city engineer Lloyd Taylor said that Washington and Walnut just received a thorough cleaning and trash pickup cost the city $5,000. Today, that's thirty nine grand. That's uh, quite the cleanup, in my opinion. Just shows how dirty it was. Again, you drive up and down the area now, and it's just hard to imagine it looked like that. Next, I asked Sam what were the different types of crimes that he was faced with on the block. What in your years on the block on West Washington? What what are the different types of crimes that you were just faced with? Probably um, robberies. Okay, you know, person to person. Yeah, a um, uh, lot a lot of dope deals. Okay, would would go bad. Uh-huh. Uh, fights. Yeah, uh, typically um, robberies probably were the most part of it. Okay. Yep. Yep. Where, you know, they'd either be uh, a person-on-person robbery uh-huh. or um, somebody gets sidetracked thinking they're going to there's some prostitutes going on there. Yep. And, uh, you know, bingo, all of a sudden, you know, there's a, uh, you know, there, there's a, a mark for us. So, 
that's funny you said that about that because all the the newspaper articles that I saved there I was reviewing them the other day and there are several of guys who got robbed yeah. who are waiting for a prostitute yeah and then some of the stories they told, would tell their wives you know we, would get back to us <laughs> yeah you know I, I got lost, sweetheart, and all of a sudden, these, these police officers were dragging me out of the car. I was on West Washington and Walnut, the twelve hundred block. Yeah, like, honey, yeah. we live in Granger. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's funny. Well, it's not, it wasn't funny for them, but now no, looking no. back, you know, it's funny. Sam and I continued talking about the different types of crimes that he dealt with while patrolling the block, and then we got into him going undercover trying to bust heroin operations. Next, you'll hear a few different tales. There was a uh, Dominiac plumbing. Mm-hmm. There was a, a building, and then there was a vacant lot where a building used to be, but okay. it burned down. Then there was Bunk and Bees. Okay. Okay. And so there was a big heroin operation at, at Bunk and Bees. Okay. So the owner of the plumbing company mm-hmm. gave us the the uh, uh, abandoned second floor. To, wow, to survey, to, to survey, and, and so we watch it. we took video cameras up, and we there was a plywood was over the window, uh-huh. so we we cut a hole in the plywood. Wow. We spent we spent a month there, you know, collecting intelligence and whatnot. Then we finally served a search warrant on uh, Bunk and Beans, uh-huh. and uh, within a week, that building was arson. The, um, the plum, within a week, the, the building plum, that you yeah, had been yeah. staking them out was arson. Yeah, yeah. So wow. the word got out. It must have been there. Must have been in the uh, the uh, affidavit on the search warrant. What you know? What, How, the methods yeah, that you guys yeah, used exactly. to, to do yeah. that. That's amazing. That's bold. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's bold. <laughs> but that that was that was the the uh, that was the block. That was the block. Next, you'll hear about a close call that Sam had while working undercover, trying to buy heroin at the Bunk and Bees. Man, did you have any close calls? Any scary moments over there? Yeah, well, I was working undercover. Back then, uh, we did hand-to-hand buys. So we would have... Um, so you did? So you walked straight up to him? And- oh, yeah. I got a picture of my phone. I had a big afro and, and, <laughs> and, 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 and a beard. Yeah. And uh, so I developed an informant. Okay. And he was buying heroin mm-hmm. from this guy uh, at, at Bunk and Bees. Okay. And Bunk and Bees had a... It, it was kind of a restaurant. It had a, a like a... Uh, a counter and, and whatnot. Okay. And then the gambling took place in the back. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, it was a white guy. The informant was a white guy. Yeah. He, he takes me there to introduce me to the drug dealer. Uh-huh. And the drug dealer told him to tell me to wait out front, which I did. Okay. And so I was just sitting there minding my own business. Uh, and I was wearing a wire. Mm-hmm. And so I had surveillance guys up about a block away yeah. so they're listening to the conversation and uh so uh the informant comes back and i see the the date i see him talking to the dope dealer in the back yeah. and so um they do their thing uh-huh. and, and the dope dealer doesn't want to doesn't want to you don't want to sell you doesn't anything. want to meet me or sell me yeah so I, the informant and i leave we get in my car and he goes man did you see him holding that shotgun on you and I said, no, I, I, I didn't. If I did, I probably would have freaked out. Damn you know? right. I mean, okay, you got two decisions. You, know, you either be cool yeah. or you pull your gun and yeah. start firing, putting yeah. rounds down rain. Right. Uh, but um, so I, I was in a precarious situation without knowing I was in a precarious right, situation. Right, which is almost better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you didn't yeah. know it. 
And now, a brief message from me to you, my listeners. Folks, I need your help in spreading the good word about Round the Bend now and then with your friends and family who you think would enjoy it. I obviously want to grow the show and increase our listeners, but I also want to be sure that we share the good things that we learn about the people that I interview and their businesses, their organizations, books, etc. To share, all you have to do is copy the show's website, paste it in a text, and hit send to a friend. Or just tell them to Google Round the Bend Now and Then, and it's right there. Tell them that we're on all of the popular podcast apps like Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and so forth. And while you're at it, tell them to download, like, or subscribe to the show on whatever podcast app that they're using. And if they're feeling especially squirrely, tell them to leave a review on why they love Round the Bend now and then. I thank you in advance for helping to spread the good word. And now, back to our episode. We spend the next several minutes talking about a place called Little Johnny's Cigar Store and its owner, John Brinson. Little Johnny's was located at 1240 West Washington, right near the Walnut intersection and across from Jim's grandparents' bar, Nikus. Now, I had never heard of Little Johnny's until I started researching for this episode and what I found was the name Little Johnny all over their Tribune articles from the 1960s through the 1980s. Then I met with Jim and he brought up Little Johnny's as well. It's well worth our time to share a few stories surrounding Little Johnny's cigar store on the block. Next, Jim talks about how the policy was ran out of Little Johnny's cigar store. Next next to the grossateria, next to the, the 24 hour was Little Johnny's. Okay. And I believe it was Little Johnny's cigar store. In the cigar store, Mm -hmm. there was more than just cigars being sold. As our listeners right now, he's doing the quotation marks with his fingers. But the, 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 (laughs) the, the back of the cigar store... There was gambling. Absolutely. And the policy Uh was run out of that. Wow. That was like an early early form of the lottery, lottery. right? Yeah. And the policy man used to come into my dad's tavern and see my grandmother. Uh And my grandmother would give him some money. (laughs) And then, I mean, and he was honest as could be because he'd bring her her winnings if she picked the three numbers that, that, that they drew that day. And she, she'd make up, she'd make a few bucks on that, but she had her policy, man. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah, yeah. I could probably do an episode alone on John Brinson. If anyone knew him or knew about him and wants to chat, reach out to me. Just from the Tribune articles alone, it is clearly evident that a ton of drama swirled around little Johnny in his cigar store. Even as early as 1958, Before he was on West Washington, he had a place called John Brinson Cigar Store at 319 North Birdsell Street, which actually looks just like a house. So maybe he ran a shop out of his house. Who knows? Anyway, a fire causing 3,500 bucks in the pool hall combination cigar shop destroyed most of the rear of the building. And that's almost $37,000 today, so it definitely wasn't a small fire. In the early 1960s is when he must have moved to 1240 West Washington. Matter of fact, 
He owned four buildings along there, including one right next door, the S&J Lounge, Sadari and Johnny Lounge, Sadari being his wife. And I may be mispronouncing that. Next, I asked Sam about Little Johnny's, and wow, it seemed just like a place straight out of the movies. You had mentioned earlier some of the more infamous spots along West Washington. You had mentioned, uh, um, oh, Bumble, what was it? You said? Bunk, Bunk and Bees. Bunk and Bees, but then you also mentioned Little Johnny's Little Johnny Cigar, cigar store. store. Now, was Little Johnny a real dude Yeah, that you know of? Yeah, as a matter of fact, he lived um, in Topsfield, not Topsfield, in, in the, the um, upscale portion of Twickenham Hills. Okay. Uh, Van Gates from Gate Chevrolet, he built a house uh-huh. back there, and, and Little Johnny had a, had a home down there it was you know a beautiful home uh so he made he made a lot of money gambling so so little johnny owned little johnny's cigar store and he lived in a more upper yeah. scale oh, oh, area yeah. he, he, it was all white area there were there, yeah. there were no minorities down down there uh then and wow. when, when, when i found that out Went by his place and, uh-huh. and yeah, I mean it was it was it was it was on a cul-de-sac and and uh, <laughs> like Van Gates was a millionaire, you know, correct? And, and and he built a house down. There, his company so. still, I mean Gates, yeah, Chevy, yeah. Gates, Toyota still yeah, going on. Yeah. So little Johnny owned owned a, a it was a was it a cigar shop or a bar? Or well, what was it a pool it, hall? The, the the name's a misnomer. It, it okay. Um, in the front they had just a, a just a, a small amount of you know, cigars and, and okay. stuff like that. But mm-hmm. the, the, the guy at the front, he was at the front door. He was a buzzer guy. Mm-hmm. So when gamblers came in, they'd hit the buzzer okay. and, and that would be the okay sign. Okay. Then he had another, he had another button that was for trouble. <sighs> and and we had a guy, guy went in to rob him. It uh-huh. was like zero degrees one winter day. He pulls a pair of pantyhose over his face uh-huh. to disguise himself. He has a, has a, a gray park on and he goes in and he points his handgun at the buzzer guy, and the buzzer guy ducks down and picks, picks up a gun and goes boom and shoots him. <laughs> and he falls out the door and he's he's dead. By the time we get there, he had vomited into his wow. that nylon mask. Uh-huh. And he was basically by the time we got there, he was he was pretty much frozen. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it, so it was it was um, you know, not only bad guys going there, yeah, but good guys just trying to protect the, yeah. the racket, you know? Yeah. Wow. There was definitely more drama surrounding little Johnny and his West Washington street cigar shop in 1971. This is crazy. Robbers from Chicago stormed into little Johnny's with machine guns and literally made 25 men and women strip naked and they crammed them into a bathroom. They made off with $8,500 worth of cash and jewelry, and that's $63,000 today. Not chump change. They were caught a while later at a toll road roadblock, so they didn't make it far back to Chicago. Multiple times in the 1970s, there were raids, arrests, crimes surrounding Little Johnny's cigar store. He and his wife were arrested in 1977 for running a gambling racket. The FBI said at the time that... Now, I don't know if I believe this. $3 million a year was running through their store. Next, you'll hear that little Johnny was not a bad dude and wanted what is best for the neighborhood. And actually, and little Johnny's, he was like the boss of the neighborhood. Uh-huh. 
So I'll never forget the pastor of St. Stephen, the Father Horvath, telling us this. This is when I was playing the organ at Corpus Christi Church and he was pastor. He was telling us that a story that um, when he was at St. Stephen's, the parishioners would naturally walk to church correct evenings and so on and they were having some problems mm. with uh, you know with robberies and so mm. on on the way home from church in at night which is st stephen's not there anymore was but on the corner of five, thomas and five blocks thomas south? and McFer- and mcpherson something like um, that so pretty close yeah, walking distance yeah 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 four blocks maybe uh-huh anyway and um which we used to walk from St. Stephen's every Sunday. Yeah. But um, he called up little Johnny, uh-huh. and he said he wanted a meeting with him. Wow. But he said that he would come mm-hmm. to the bar, uh-huh. but he said when he gets there, because he always wore his Roman collar, when right. he gets there, he wants him to turn the lights out. Okay. So nobody will see a priest walk in the bar. Absolutely. And they walked him through the bar to a, a back room, and then he had a meeting with little Johnny and told him the problems that were going on. They stopped. He took care of it. Amazing. Those are the types of stories that I'm actually just looking for. Just yep. real human beings, real people, uh, real neighborhoods, real in the moment dealing with changes in the neighborhood. You know, that priest probably realized things are changing and, 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 he did what he felt was best for his bar yeah. and he kind of kind of risky yeah. father the, the neighborhood pre walking yeah. into that little johnny's that's yeah. a neat story that yeah. is cool john brinson passed away in 2000 at the age of 84 next you hear that even though there was all types of crime going on in the area jim's father's tavern nikus rarely had any issues Thanks to relationships with neighbors and a couple of German shepherds. There was a house right behind the tavern Mm -hmm. off the parking lot. Mm -hmm. There was a parking lot in between the tavern and this house. And it was, um, it was an apartment house. Mm -hmm. It was a big white house with a big front porch. And there was a lady who had an apartment on the side. And she always used to sit at the door all summer. She had that door open uh-huh and sat there was a screen door and she sat there all summer and she watched and wow. she would watch she would call him up and let him know mr <sighs> kelly somebody's in your in your parking lot messing around with the cars and then he'd go out there and take care of it but he had wow he had um at nighttime he had two german shepherds Oh. And, and one of them, one of them was my dog, and that was she had to be tied up because she would. She had a thin chain, but she, if she needed to, she would. Um, she could break it. Wow! But the other one crazy. ran around uh-huh. around the bar, and she was trained very well. She wow. stayed. She stayed behind the bar, she, uh-huh. but they wouldn't let anybody come in and then even reach behind the bar or go behind the bar. Wow. Because, but he really didn't, he, 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 you know, like robberies or anything. Mm-hmm. No, but, um, but he really didn't, you know, and he had really good lunch business. His evening business was mainly carry out from neighbors. Okay. And they all watched out for him. 
and, and when I took over as principal at Madison, mm-hmm. that was my district, part okay. of my district. So absolutely, if I had to talk to a parent or a grandparent, wow. and they lived in that area, I would tell them, "That's my dad who owned." Who? Yep, my dad owned that, and they all knew him. And I was in. I mean, I spent 16 years there. I was. Yes, in. We were. We were family. Wow. We were family because everybody knew dad. And yes. Yes. I, the respect. The respect was unbelievable. Wow. I actually ran across a Tribune article of when Jim's parents closed Nikus in 1983. And Mr. Principal, Mr. Bankowski's picture is front and center in the article. Next, he explains how helping his parents could have gotten him in some hot water. There's, and then I also found the article, uh, and I think you, I don't know if you've shared it or somebody did of when you guys closed. Yes. Um, and, I, I and, put that on. Okay. Yeah. So Facebook that, that looked before. familiar and, um, yeah. uh, you're, you're yeah. in it. That was, oh yeah, I'm in it. 1983. That was, I was principal at St. Anthony's uh-huh. at that time and dad was closing. That was the last week that they were serving food and so on. Oh. Although he stayed open a little bit longer than that, uh-huh. but that was the last week in there serving food. And um and and they were packed. Wow! Every single day, Roger Parent was mayor. Uh-huh. He came in one day with the group, and he gave them my parents the key to the city. Wow! Yeah, really? and and it was, and but I I thought you know what I can't. It was just my mom and her, uh, uh, a helper, Kate, worked in the kitchen, uh-huh. and then my dad was the only person working out in the bar. I thought I can't. I can't leave him there. Right. You know, I mean, alone. So I I, I used to leave school, go and help him through the lunch hour. Then I'd go back to school. Well, little did I know Mm. it was going to be in the South Bend Tribune. (gasps) In the South Bend Tribune, they not only... They not only put my picture, but said, their they son, that. principal of St. Anthony's. And I thought, oh, I'm going to hear about, never heard a thing about it. Throughout the 1980s and early 90s, city and community leaders went back and forth forever on the best way to revitalize the area. We won't spend too much time on that today, discussing the revitalization of the West Washington and Walnut area because I do want to have an episode dedicated solely to that, because it is truly an against-all-odds success story. Now, when you drive up and down West Washington there in the 1200 block, where all the abandoned buildings, prostitutes, drugs, and gambling occurred, are residential houses there now, and it is hard to imagine what once stood there. Next, Sam talks about just that, how surreal it is to him. I'm just so intrigued by all of this, you know, because right now it is family houses. Yeah. I mean, just nice family houses, you know? I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, back back then, I, I could never visualize what is out there now. I mean, I drove by there probably a year ago, and, you know, a lot of those new homes. That what was going through there. your head, do you remember? Oh, just, yeah, it was just like, it, it was like a surreal moment. Yeah. You know, I mean, because I just remembered how it was back then. Next, Jim talks about the same thing driving down West Washington after his family's bar was torn down. And it sat there empty. Just sat. It sat empty, and then it was torn down. Yeah. And um, I'll never forget going, driving. Uh, I, I think I was at, at Madison yet, mm-hmm. driving. Probably, yeah, and, that, probably. and I got to the corner of Washington <sighs> Walnut. Oh, I was lost. 
I yes. literally, I had, I had not wow. been in yes. that. I was literally lost. I, 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 I didn't know. And I could see a home. Mm -hmm. I knew the person. It was a lady who used to help my mom. It was Kate's house. I could see her house from there. And I thought, it, okay, I know where I am now. Wow. Because just from the, that, that's muscle memory. And that's literally yes. your whole but life. But it was all the duplex homes that were, I mean, very nice. Mm -hmm. But. Yeah. It was, it was. Wow. Uh, it was a really weird feeling. I, I could imagine. Thank you for listening to another episode of Round the Bend Now and Then. Thank you to Jim Bankowski and Sam Walsh for coming on and sharing your memories of the block. I truly, truly appreciate your time. I also mentioned wanting to do an episode on the revitalization of the block. If you or if you know of anyone who was involved with the transformation of the area in that era, please let me know. Thank you again for joining me as we learn more about South Bend and Mishawaka's now and then.